Turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 14. We're starting a new chapter this morning. We're going to go through verses 1 through 13. And what I wanted to do, the reason my keynote was important this morning, uh, is that it, uh, it has some slides on there that will give you some background of what's going on. The story we're going to be talking about this morning is John the Baptist being beheaded. Now, how, how many of you are, in, well, I, yeah, just how many of you are involved in some type of ministry in your life? Some type of ministry, good. Okay, that's good. That's a good, that's a good number of you. All right. How many of you expect that in the next couple months you'll be beheaded because of that ministry? Oh, yeah. Nice. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate that. Uh, it's, it's not really what we all sign. What is going on? It's not, it's not really what we sign up for, is it? To be beheaded. I mean, if I told you to work for children's ministry... And I said, yeah, oh, it's really great. The kids are awesome. And then uh, at the very end, you're going you're gonna to have your head chopped off, right? There wouldn't be very many uh, volunteers for that, would there? I wouldn't volunteer for it anyway. All right, here we go. Whoops. Good gracious. There we go. John Villa, you're going to have to edit out this awkward silence. <laughs> cool. All right. I want to give you some background on what happened with uh, John the Baptist here. Cool. Next week, our verse is Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Okay, so you can write that down. When you get done with all this, you'll have Philippians 4, 6 through 9. It'll be awesome. This is Herod the Great. You guys remember when Jesus was born, Herod the Great went out and killed all the, ba- all the male babies uh, two and under. Okay? He's a nasty dude. He found out that there was a king born and he wanted all those babies killed. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an idea. He's, he's dead at this point uh, in our scripture verse. So uh, we're going to put him up at the top there. And we're going to go through his lineage because it's very important to see kind of how his family plays out. They are a nasty, nasty family. And I can't get into all the details, but I kind of want to give you an idea of who this guy Herod Antipas and who uh, this gal Herodias is. So that's Herod the Great. That's probably not what he looked like. Uh, that's just uh, uh, from, a, from a, a, a statue. So all the pictures I'm showing you are probably not who the people look like, okay? So bear with me. Here we go. That's Herod the Great. With one wife, he had three sons. Archelaus, okay? (laughs) Philip, (laughs) and Herod Antipas, okay? Again, I don't know what they look like. They could look like this. I, I have no idea, okay? But Archelaus was the ruler of Judea and Samaria, Philip was northern Palestine, and Herod Antipas had Galilee and this other section called Perea, okay? North, middle, and south, okay? Now, we call him Herod, which is ruler, or sometimes it's translated king, but that's a very loose term of the, of the word Herod. A Herod is not a king, okay? It, it can be translated that way, but the king was Caesar, He was the one in charge, and he allowed these guys to kind of control their areas. If you mapped out their area, uh, we'll show it in a little bit. It's basically King Herod's area, and when he died, it was divided into his for his son. So we're going to give them each a crown, but they're not going to be uh, real crowns. They're going to be jester's hats. Now, 
I want you to stay with me here because I know this gets funny and we're joking around and everything. I'm not making fun of these people as individuals. I'm making fun of our culture. Because what we're going to see is that Herod Antipas and, and Herodias were the powerful people of that culture. But they had no power in this kingdom. And so we talked about last week about uh, value, how we give value to things that don't have value. And so I've just chosen nothing against these guys. I've just chosen kind of our icons of what we give value, maybe to things that don't have as much value. So they were they they took care of this section of of Israel. Philip had that light blue part up there. Um, Archelaus had Judea and Samaria. And then um, uh, Herod Antipas had Galilee, you see. And then right under the Decapolis there is Perea. He had those two places. So that was with one wife. Then Herod had another son with another wife. Okay. He named him Philip also. Real creative guy. He has four sons. He names two of them Philip. You, know, you get to the fourth kid and you're like, gee, I don't know, man. How about Philip? You know, you can just see that. So we're going to call him Billy Bob Philip uh, <laughs> because he's different than that Philip. Okay. Then Herod the Great has another son uh, with another woman. And we'll just call him another Herod because we don't know what his name was. But there's five sons. Five sons, three brothers, two half-brothers, okay? You're starting to get kind of an idea of how jacked up this family is. This other Herod has a son named Herod Agrippa. In, uh, in Acts chapter 12, we see that he was eaten by worms. He, 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 he started a day called Herod Day, and, and when the Lord found out about it, of course, he probably knew it was going to happen anyway. But when he found out about it, uh, Herod Agrippa didn't give glory to the Lord. And so the Lord had him eaten by worms. So uh, don't do that. Uh, don't start a day with your name. Uh, and he had another daughter named Herodias. OK, she's she's in the story as well. So let's get rid of these two guys because they're not in the story anymore. And uh, this guy was eaten by worms. So he's gone. And so here's what we're left with. And this is our this is our story. OK, so we got. Three brothers, one niece. All right. Stay. This is very important. I know it seems like we're going through a lot of stuff. But this is very important. Herod Antipas was married. There was a king right below him uh, in the region below him called uh, Aretas. And he had a daughter. We're going to call her uh, Princess Jennifer. Okay. So Herod Antipas, you can see how these parallel quite nicely, can't you? Herod Antipas... Falls in love with Princess Jennifer and Billy Bob Philip marries his niece. OK, so you can kind of see how gross this is getting. All right. Now we don't need this guy anymore. So we'll go. OK, so we have this family tree of totally jacked up people. And this is kind of how we end up. OK, Herod Antipas, Princess Jennifer, Billy Bob Philip and Herodias. Now, what happens is Billy Bob Philip lives in Rome. He's not a Herod. He's just a citizen. Okay, so these two go and visit them. And while they're there, Herod Antipas starts getting the hots for his niece. Okay, and she's all for it. Okay, so he seduces his niece. And now their relationship goes up in flames. Their relationship goes up in flames and they're gone. Now, I want us to understand this. When Herod Antipas divorces his wife, Princess Jennifer, we don't know what her name is. Her dad comes up and wipes out his army and almost wiped out Herod Antipas, but the Romans came in and saved him. So he doesn't make very wise choices, 
Okay, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. And they go back uh, to his region and uh, they shack up together. Okay, John the Baptist comes in doing what John the Baptist does. And he starts telling them, your relationship's no good. This upsets Herodias and she gets those dagger eyes that women get and doesn't like the guy. Okay, so they throw John in prison. This is verses one through twelve. Okay. And off he goes. Okay. Now, Herodias has a daughter. Now, think about this. I, I, I want us to connect here. She's now with her second uncle. Okay, this is the second uncle in, in, in her group. And she has a daughter who's about 14 or 15 years old. And King Herod has a party for himself, a birthday party. And Herodias decides to send in her 14 or 15-year-old daughter to dance for him. Now, this isn't just a a, a dance. We'll put her daughter right there. (laughs) This isn't just a dance like, oh, it's so cute. She learned this in in junior high. It's her little ballet piece. This is a uh, nasty dance. There's men filling the room. Most of these parties are stag parties. They're all drunk. The women come in. I mean, you you got it. I mean, you understand. So she, she does her little dance, okay? Herod Antipas is drunk and aroused, we'll say, okay? Men rarely make good choices when they're drunk and aroused, okay? So he says to her, whatever you want, up to half of my kingdom. Herodias says, psst, hey, John the Baptist's head on a platter. She says, oh, John the Baptist's head on a platter. And Herod Antipas says, bummer, okay? Not very happy. Now, here's what I want us to see. We joke around, or at least I did, by putting Tom Cruise in there and all this kind of stuff, because that's just silly, right? But think about this. These knuckleheads, Herod Antipas and Herodias, beheaded John the Baptist. That would be like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie beheading, like... Yeah, who's the guy with the... Billy Graham, thank you. Billy Graham the Baptist, right? It's like, we go, well, that would never happen. It happened. This guy who was called by God from the time, even when he was in his mother's womb, he was responding to the Holy Spirit. And And he has this ministry and it goes, and he ends up in jail and being beheaded by some lady who just has a grudge on him because she's sleeping with her two uncles. How does God allow that kind of nonsense? Well, let's look at it. Uh, I just basically read for you Matthew uh, 14, 1 through 12, uh, 1 through 11. So here's Matthew 12. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Now, again, guys, I don't don't mean to be gross, but you're with this. you're, you're, You're with John the Baptist. You're a disciple. You love him. You're following him. You're listening to him. And you have to go get his headless body. And bury it. I mean, these guys were deeply, deeply affected by this. It was their ministry too that died. When John the Baptist died. He went and he, they told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened. He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this. The crowds followed him on foot. From the towns. Now if there was ever an example. Of somebody who was living for eternity. Which is the series we're going through now. 
It was John the Baptist. If there was ever an example that when you follow Christ, you don't get a new job and a nice car and everything works out great, it's John the Baptist. If there's ever a story of really bad government going really wrong for one of its citizens, it was John the Baptist. And if there was ever a story that that, that exemplifies what we talked about last week, about seeing the pearl of great price, about seeing the buried treasure and selling it all for the kingdom. It was John the Baptist. This guy gave it all away. He gives his whole life to God. And by the age of 33, he's beheaded. Now, you say, man, why, why, are, you, why are you talking about this? Why are you doing this? Because... He, Here's the thing, guys. I honestly, firmly believe with all my heart that Living Spring is on the verge of the next level for us. And so what it means is there's going to be some people who maybe were doing some type of vital ministry who aren't. Or maybe there's some who really want to and they might. Or there's some who were in the direction we're moving is a different direction. So I want, this applies to all of us. This applies to me. What I want to go over are seven things John the Baptist had to deal with in his ministry that ended up with him being beheaded and how it might impact our lives. Because here's the thing. If you're sitting here and you call this your church, I'm going to be pushing you in this next year. I'm going to be pushing you before we have the people here for us to minister to so that it's all in place. And you might go, I don't know. I don't, you know, gee, it seems like a lot of risk. It is a lot of risk. It's going to be, it's going to, it's going to shape us and stretch us and mold us. But we have to ask ourselves, is it worth it? Was it worth it for John the Baptist to go through all that just to be beheaded? Yes, it was. It was worth losing his head. It was worth it. And it's going to be worth it for us. So let, let's see what he gave up, what, how this ministry affected him. The first thing is he renounced his future. For John the Baptist, his fu- you know, we all think of our future. I think of my future. I'm trying to save for retirement. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to be responsible. I'm trying to figure out how we get the kids into college. I'm trying to figure out all that. John the Baptist renounced it all. And I look at my own life and, and going into full-time ministry from the business world or wherever, and I think there's a lot of stuff in my future that I've put on hold or have given up completely. I, you know, I don't know the way God's going to work it all out. Is it worth it? I, I believe it is. John the Baptist gave this up. He was humble. Remember, some of the things John the Baptist said was, he must increase and I must decrease. In other words, my dreams, my hopes, all the things I want, as Christ is glorified in my life, that means that maybe some things in my future that I'm striving for, that I'm wasting this entire kingdom on, to, I have to give that up in order to gain this kingdom. Right, Jesus said, why would you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Now, that's not only salvation, but it's also that kingdom power in our lives. He gave up his future. He said, I'm not even fit to tie Jesus' sandals. When Jesus came to be baptized, John said, you should be baptizing me. He had this sense that his life was for the kingdom. His past, his present, his future. 
Jesus said this to the disciples because they, they, they thought the kingdom was going to happen down here. He said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and servant of all. That's going to affect our lives. That's going to affect what we watch on TV. It's going to affect how we plan. I know, I know a family who wanted to move so desperately to another part of the country. But God kept calling them to their church. And so they didn't move. All their hopes, they wanted to move to a bigger house and have better things for their kids and into a community that didn't have so much crime. And yet they've sacrificed that to stay in their area in a smaller house with less income. Their dollar goes less. Why? For the kingdom, because they're serving and God was not allowing them to leave. It's amazing. It says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We have a choice when we think about ministry in our lives. We could have God against us or he, we could have his grace, which is sufficient for us because his strength is perfected in our weakness. So John the Baptist gave up his future and there might be some of us who make decisions that affect our future. We might not be able to work as hard at work and we give up a promotion because we're investing in other people's lives. That would be an example of that. Second, he abandoned his impulses. All of us have impulses. All of us have a bent. All of us have ways where we want, you know, mine's impatience. My bent is to get frustrated real quick when I'm driving or whatever. When we enter into ministry, when we, when we bring ourselves up to a higher level, we're going to have to abandon those things. We call, the Bible calls it self-control. And one of, the, one of the things that you have to give up when you go into ministry, and I'm telling you, if I approach you and I'm asking you, come on, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? One of the things you have to click off in your mind is, is there anything I'm going to have to give up if I say yes to this? John the Baptist took the Nazarite vow, the highest vow you could take for ministry. He gave up wine, strong drink, uh, 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 ate locusts and honey. He lived in the desert. He was ridiculed. He gave all that up. Made a big commitment. Why? Because he abandoned his impulses. It was for the kingdom. For 400 years, no prophet had spoken. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist shows up on the screen, on the scene. Look what 1 Corinthians 9.26 says. I don't, I'm going to paraphrase it as I go. I don't run like an idiot, just flailing around. I, I, I take control of my body. I, I, I beat it. I make it my slave. So that when I'm doing this ministry and a young kid comes up to me and says, how do you handle this situation? I can look him in the eye and say, through the strength of Christ, I do. When I'm with some people in a small group and somebody attacks me and I just want to go back and go, oh yeah, I don't. And so part of ministry is abandoning those impulses. That's kind of hard, isn't it? To be responsible for something to a point where it affects your life. John the Baptist gave those things up. If you go into ministry, there are things in your life, I can guarantee you, you're going to have to give up. Thirdly, he gave up his safety. He gave up his safety. John the Baptist was one of those guys that was just uncomfortable to be around. He was a prophet. My sister has this gift. Okay, she's not uncomfortable to be around. But, but if you were to go to my sister, and, and, and I love my sister, she's awesome, and she's a sweet, sweet, wonderful woman of God. But because she has this burning, like, prophetess gift in her, 
If I were to come up to her and go, yeah, 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 how's it going? We're talking. And I go, yeah, I'm really trying to lose weight. She'd go, no, you're not. Oh, well, okay, just so you know, sometimes people say things just to kind of have discussion going. They're not really looking for your input or for you to, like, lambaste them. But she, she can't help it. It's a burning fire in her. So if you come and you go, oh, Ellen, I, you know, I'm doing everything I can in, in my, you know, like if you're a woman, do not talk to my sister, okay? Because she will jack you up. She, like if you say, oh, my marriage, you know, you just don't understand him. She will just go, well, you're supposed to submit to him no matter what. Well, you know, it's just not working. I made a mistake. No, well, fine. You're living with it for the rest of your life. She is just like, bam, 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 right? That was John the Baptist. Now listen to me, because this is going to apply to us. I'm not saying that once you get in ministry, you start blasting people. But you will operate in your gift no matter what. When you don't feel like encouraging someone, you will just be encouraging them. If you have the gift of encouragement. And so it's unsafe. Sometimes the safe thing is, is to just sit, come to church on Sunday, sit in a chair, not do anything, listen to the sermon, rate it, eh, C minus this week, go home, watch television. That's the safe thing. It is always more dangerous to step out in faith and do some type of ministry. Okay? This is a tough word this morning, I'm sorry, but somebody got beheaded, so we're going to have to keep it serious. He gave up his safety. Paul, every time we think of Paul, we think of a guy who's just like on it. But look what Paul says. He says, pray on my behalf, please. That utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul saying, man, it's unsafe for me to operate in my gift right now. It's uncomfortable. I don't like it. Pray for me, please. And you know what I pray for this church? This year I'm praying for an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. That you would be uncomfortable not acting in your gift that you would either speak boldly or you would step out or you'd use more time or you'd use more money or you'd do something and so i'm praying and praying and praying and praying so if you're feeling uncomfortable praise god for that we're going to give up our safety this year see john's message didn't change no matter who he's talking to we have herodias and 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 herod he knows their knuckleheads he knows their history again a lot of the information i got was not from the bible although you can read about it in luke matthew and i believe it's in mark as well um it was from history the historian josephus writes about them writes about what knuckleheads they are writes about it was common it was the tabloid of the day for that time Okay, it would, it would be like, that's what everyone would talk about around the well. They talk about, oh, did you know that Herod Antipas married his brother Philip's wife, Herodias? No way, yeah. And John the Baptist was speaking out against that. Didn't matter if it was Herod, didn't matter who, who it was. He would speak out against that. He gave up his safety. It was not safe to talk about that. And you might have to give up your safety. You, the Lord might be burning in your heart to be with third and fourth graders and they scare you to death. Right? Or kindergartners or high schoolers or whatever. And you're like, oh, no, no way. And the Lord's going, come on, give up your safety. Take a risk. Risk something. Number four, he struggled with doubt. Again, guys, I, I would be lying to you if I told you that ministry, when we, it, it all is peaches and cream. 
It's not. I, I've dealt with every single one of these. In, in my three years of ministry here, I've dealt with every single one and I'm still dealing with some. Is it worth it? Oh, man. It is so worth it. It is so worth it. When the Spirit of God is flowing through you and you're doing what you're shaped to do, there is nothing like it. It's awesome. It's so awesome. Remember, last week we were talking about the treasure and the pearl of great price. And we said the, the guy with the, um, I forget if it was the treasure or the pearl, but he sold everything. And with joy, he went out and bought that. It was the, it was the field, so it was the treasure. With joy, he went out and bought that field. Because he knew. He struggled with doubt. We talked about this before in Matthew. He goes out and he says, here, let's read it right here. He says in Matthew eleven two, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one? Are you really the one? I mean, is this really going to be worth it for me? He's in prison now. I mean, now it's really hard. And, and during the week when you're tired and you come home from work and you got something to study for, for some kid on Sunday and you go, man, is this really worth it? Should I really have said yes? Or you're leading a small group. <laughs> Let me tell you what I, what I, before I did this thing, we used to lead small groups for free. Like before I got paid, we did ministry for free. And, um, and so I remember some sun, you know, some weeks I would, I would prepare and we get everything ready and I was stoked or whatever. And one couple would show up. I'm like, really? You gotta be kidding me. And here, here, here what I said. I wasted all that time for this couple. That's what I'd say. That's, that is, that's wrong. Just so everyone understands, right? That's wrong. I didn't waste any time, but that's doubt coming in. He says, are you really the guy? Are you really worth this? And Jesus says, go tell him. Go tell him. He struggled with doubt. Number five, he battled cultural influence. Look at this section in Matthew. We're going to get to this when we get to Matthew 16. But Jesus, he, he comes to his disciples and he says, who do, you, who do people say that I am? What's the, what's the culture say about me? How is, you, you guys are following me, you're devoted to me, but what's everyone else saying? And, and they, they tell him here, they say, um, some say John the Baptist, because John the Baptist had died at this time, kind of John the Baptist risen from the dead. Others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. There's four different kinds of things here. This is the, this is the thought of the day. Now imagine John the Baptist is behind bars, and his disciples are going, I don't know, I've been talking to a lot of people, and some are saying he's Elijah. Oh, and John the Baptist is going, well, that, that would make sense, I guess. Or, or, or some are saying he's Jeremiah because of these scriptures. And some are saying he's one of the other prophets. That, that brings in doubt for John. This cultural influence. So you start to step out in faith. You start to step out in ministry. And there's all sorts of cultural influences that are going to affect you. All sorts of pulls on your time. One of the cultural influences you know, is, 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 is our just media-driven, you know, whether it's Facebook or television or whatever. We're just a very media-driven culture. So that cultural influence, whether you watch TV or whatever, that, that cultural influence is going to have a pull. We're a very um, sexual society. 
Okay, so we're going to have that pull. The enemy's going to try and use whatever he can to influence you to either not be in ministry, to be disqualified for ministry, or to get your butt kicked when you get in so that, that you are now shamed and you're gone. I cannot tell you how many pastors I read about that, that blew it and they're done, wiped out because of cultural influence. That's going to be a hard thing for us to keep going against as we go into full-time ministry. Is it worth it? Is it, is it worth maybe giving something up for the kingdom? A pleasure, a, a fantasy? It is, it's, it's worth it. Number six, he dealt with lack of communication. Jesus didn't come to John the Baptist. I mean, they grew up together for crying out loud. They probably wrestled together. John the Baptist probably pinned Jesus in a wrestling. It was probably part of his doubt. He's probably behind bars going, man, he might be the chosen one, but I just tore him up in junior high. If he was the chosen one, he should have gotten out of that headlock. Right? But I pinned him. He had a good attitude about it, but I pinned him. Right? <laughs> Couldn't Jesus have said, look, hey, let me just tell you what's going to go down, just so you know. You're my cousin. You're kind of giving everything up. But what's going to happen is you're going to baptize me. I'm going to go on, and it's not going to be the kingdom you expect. It's going to be something different. And you're going to go uh, in prison, uh, and then you're going to uh, be beheaded, and then I'm going to die, but I'm going to be ri- risen from the dead. You're not. You're going to stay dead, but I'm going to be risen from the dead. <laughs> give him a chance to go, well, gee, I don't know if I'm going to sign up for this or not. See, a lot of times in ministry, there's a big lack of communication. And it gets frustrating sometimes. Sometimes the senior pastor doesn't, clearly articulate what was, you know, we'd like you to do, uh, you know, work with the four and five years old, you know, oh, okay, you know, and you get in there and there's 80 of them, right? And, and they're all amped up on uh, donuts and juice, you know, and you're like, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this, right? Other reasons there's a lack of communication is because nobody knows we're all flying by the seat of our pants, you know? We just know God says, hey, I want you to take a step of faith. I want you to do this. And I can't give you all the details. Well, why not? Because there are no details. It's just a movement of the Spirit. And, 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 and maybe God has us doing all this just so it fails so that He can refine us for the next time. I have no clue. I just know where, God is, where God's pushing us. I don't have all the answers. You could come, you could write me an email and go, Johnny, I, I really like where everything's going, but what about this, this, and this? And I'll go, yeah, I wish I knew, man. If you come up with an answer in your prayer time, let me know, because I'd love to hear it. A lack of communication. Remember, he had the Pharisees, the, his, his uh, guys follow him around. It says, why do we the, and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus gives them some weird answer. He doesn't like say it out right. Lack of communication. So they go back to John the Baptist and they give him some weird answer. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect somebody else? Jesus starts quoting scripture at him. When you step out in faith and you step out and you begin to do things, a small group, what am I going to teach? What am I going to... Sometimes it just works itself out. The Holy Spirit has more to reveal later. He just wants to see an act of obedience. Number seven, the last one. He encountered unmet expectations. One of the things that I like to ask people a lot is, well, you know, how do you think it's going to work out? Because in, and I'll do this with marital counseling too. Describe your marriage. Like what is going to be after a month or a year? Oh, 
oh, it's gonna, uh, he's going to come home from work and he's going uh, to put his clothes in the dirty hamper and, uh, I, I, and we're going to clean the house together singing praise songs. <laughs> and he's going to bring me one rose every day. And then at the 30th of the month, it'll be a dozen roses with chocolates. And I go, that is an awesome expectation. Wow. This, this, we're talking about this guy here, right? Okay. John the Baptist, when, when John the Baptist came, he said, that he, Jesus is going to come with unquenchable fire. Those winnowing fork is in his hand and he is going to jack you up. You better repent. You better turn from your sins or you're going to, you're, you're done. You're going to burn. Right. The kingdom's coming. And from John the Baptist's standpoint, an Old Testament kingdom meant the Messiah comes in. The ch- Israel are the chosen people. And we go out and we wreck shop. We tear everybody up. And then our crops start blooming. And here we go. He's ushering in the kingdom. And now he's in prison and he's finding out that Jesus is healing people and not really doing much to the Pharisees. And so the, the guys come back and they tell him, hey, Jesus is healing people. Okay. Any unquenchable fire like anywhere? No, no. He went to a party the other day, though, with some Pharisees and some tax collectors. Did he wipe them out with unquenchable fire? No. He, he just said he was there for them. And you can see John the Baptist going, what? That's not what I expected. And when we get into ministry, a lot of times the Lord does things in our heart that we don't expect. We think we're doing it for one reason. We think it's going to turn out one way and it turns out something totally different. And, and it's the way the Lord refines us and say, do you trust me? 